Uh, so why don't you turn to Luke, uh, Luke 10, if you would, and that's where we'll be. Um, we're really excited about the adoption connection. If, even if you weren't thinking about it, you're like, just want to go. The food was already ordered, but we always overorder, and that's a good thing because I think it's going to, we didn't do this on purpose, but the message you're going to hear and what they're going to share, it just happens to really make sense. So just stop by afterwards and enjoy that. Well, why don't we pray and uh, we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you for another day. We do thank you for the summer. We thank you for those of us who get a chance to take a break uh, over the next few months and just be refreshed and enjoy all that you've made and build relationships. And Lord, uh, we've come this morning because we're hungry for more. We want to know more of you. We want to get a better glimpse of your heart. And we want to know what it means to follow you with everything. So Holy Spirit of God, the areas that are not like Jesus in the next 20, 30 minutes, will you highlight those for us so that we can grow and be the people that you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, so we're in a series, second week uh, called Love My Neighbor. And last week, to recap in one sentence, uh, you can live in the Father's house and miss the Father's heart. Uh, it's possible. When we saw last Sunday, I encourage you to watch it or download it. It's possible to go to church yet miss the Father's heart. It's possible to say you're a Jesus follower and yet miss the Father's heart. That's not God's intention. That's just the way it is. But God in his love draws us back not only to worship him, but to really know who he is and live like him. And really that's what this series is about. Loving God and loving neighbor are connected. And Jesus affirms what everyone, that what all the Jewish rabbis were saying at the time is that loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself summarizes everything God has said. And so we, we want to grow. And last week we saw that it's the Father's heart of love that needs to get drilled down in our own soul. That was like the fundamental thing. It's not just being nice to people. We actually want to get the Father's heart for people. And then this week, we want to look at the other end of the statement, love my neighbor, my neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor and how does that work out? Now, before we look at Luke, I, I want to invite Dustin. Dustin's going to come up. And with each week and each uh, passage we're going to look at, we're going to also share what God's doing in our church and how this meets, the Bible meets the real world. And so, Dustin, welcome. Uh, Thank you. What company do you work for or what's on your sleeve? Let's just get uh, it out Nike. there. Nike. Oh, so yeah. funny. Everything there. Um, good good appreciate looking it. shirt, by the way. This good looks. Oh, thank, yeah. well, thank you. Sorry, we're having a moment. <laughs> Forgive us. Anyway, uh, so Dustin, you, you and your family, you've been a part of church for a long time, but give, yeah. give us a little bit. Some of you don't know Dustin. Yeah. Wife, are you married? I'm married, uh, 12 years. 12 years? Yes. And, uh, yes. Yeah. And so yeah, we, 25, got you beat. Okay, keep going. No. <laughs> We've got uh, four beautiful kids. Yeah. Uh, so eight, ten, uh, ten, eight, four, and two. two. And the cool part is you're on the team that helps uh, serve and set up and does coffee and communion. And you bring your boys. Yeah. Here. Yeah. And they were doing, it was really cool, com uh, competitive uh, communion cup placing, the little communion cups, the plastic things, yeah, you know, and you beat your son. I did. And didn't feel bad about it. Not at all. Okay. All. Yeah. This is real life. And so that aside, now you have three of them biological to you and Andrea, yeah. one adopted. Yeah. Give us just a little bit about that story. Yeah. So my wife and I, um, since we've been married, have always felt that we wanted a big family and um, adoption would always be part of that. Uh, 
just always on our heart to yeah. uh, uh, love the orphan and just just take in our house. And so we um, started five years ago, and we're looking at Ethiopia at first. Um, and in four years, after extended time and all kinds yeah. of things, uh, they closed their doors. Yeah. Four years yeah. of pursuing to bring a little one in your home. Man, that's a, that had to be tough. Yeah, it was definitely a test of patience for yeah. us. And um, within that, though, we had our beautiful daughter and uh, just kind of continued life. And um, after that, we changed and moved uh, to China in the sense okay. of, like, you know, moving, choosing from to go to China. And uh, within six or nine months, we, we got a referral for yeah. our youngest son. And mm -hmm. uh, in September, we went and flew over to China and picked yeah. him up, and it's wow. awesome. So. And some of you maybe have a chance to meet your son's name again? Everett. Everett. Yeah. And uh, God's just blended you into one beautiful family. Now, you also, you live in one of the neighborhoods not, not far from here. What's the name of your, your neighborhood yeah. again? Uh, Bentley Orchard. Bentley Orchard. Yeah. And give us a bit, because uh, you're, you and your family are part of one of our 26 West communities, and give us a bit of the dynamic of how that plays in your neighborhood. Yeah. A lot of your group live in your neighborhood. Yeah, so we, uh, we have a community of parents and you know, big families. Uh, I think there's 19 kids. 19 in, kids. In our oh, MC. I'm sure it's very neat and tidy. Yeah, and, we do yeah, a lot perfect. of community deep dives and stuff. Yeah, no, it's just called no. cleaning. Yes, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of you are in the neighborhood, and, and yours is an interesting neighborhood. There's young and old, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's four families that are part of our community that live in the neighborhood. And uh, the neighborhood is from the 70s. Yeah. And uh, it's a mix of kind of the first generation that bought the houses and a lot of families that are moving in with kids. And, and so it's a, it's a really fun dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, and our community just, you know, the four families uh, just have kind of taken their own uh, ways of intentionally learning about the neighbors uh, and just trying to love on them and get to know them. Uh, we've done things, we, we, we're always really out trying to talk to people, not intentionally, but like just because we just want to be outside, we want to be yeah. available, and um, it's been really good um, to just get to know everyone and learn about you know the young families and how to parent and share parenting challenges and yeah. there are challenges there's challenges wow. yeah. okay we could talk about yeah. that afterwards um you guys had a big party for your your father-in-law yeah and give us a bit about what you guys did yeah so we, uh his wife uh put together this block party and uh kind of closed off the road legally and uh helpful Nothing like a renegade church, right? Where, yeah. Oh, we just shut the block off in Jesus' name. Exactly. Yeah. But exactly. we just threw a big uh, 60th birthday party for yeah. him and invited everyone in the neighborhood. Uh, a lot of the couples came, a lot of the family, the older people came, and it was just an awesome time to just have good conversations, um, help serve them and get them food and, and just kind of get to know everybody. Yeah. Um, and we had a blow-up uh, thing for all the kids. We had and corn the parents. and the parents. <laughs> yeah. I was told not to jump, jump on it. Yeah. And you did anyway, I'm sure. I, yeah. I know you yeah. did. <laughs> yeah. no, that's cool. Yeah. It's so fun. Like our neighbor, 
was saying that we should do it again, so we're going to have another one on the 4th of July. Yes. So just to, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, you know, not around, or some people are around, and they're just not hanging out. So we thought, hey, let's do it for the 4th, and yeah. uh, we're going to do that again. So. Well, let's just uh, pray for their 4th of July block party. You know, I think that's a great thing. Father, we thank you that you've put the Jacksons and others in this neighborhood. And Lord, we thank you for Monty's 60th celebration, the party. And God, we just pray for open doors as, as they just shut down their physical block uh, to be together and have a blast on the 4th. We pray that those who may be far from you now will get a glimpse of how loving you are and how kind you are and how good you are. And we just pray that you give open doors to each of these families to connect in natural ways and that those who have yet to really consider you Jesus would because they see your presence in your people. That's what we're asking for, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go break the, break the bouncy castle on the 4th. All right. Thanks, Jackson. Give it up. Justin, Dustin Jackson. Yeah. So we, we're going to do some live interviews and some videos just so you get a feel, especially if you're new to the church, what does is, what is following Jesus in the real world look like? And when you talk about loving your neighbor, okay, that's how they're trying to express it in Hillsboro. But let's, let's look, if we could, just for the next few minutes, Luke chapter 10, Luke 10. And I want to start in verse uh, 25 and... We're going to see a conversation between Jesus and a Bible teacher about what it means to be a neighbor. Uh, Dustin and Andrea and, and those who follow Jesus are trying to be a good neighbor. Well, what, what does that even mean to Jesus? All right, let's start just in verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Just pause. So the question, an expert in the law doesn't mean a lawyer. It means he's a Bible teacher. It's the Jewish law. And he sees Jesus as a teacher that seems renegade. And they don't understand him. So he wants to, to see how good, he is, how good he is. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You're going to see this phrase in the Bible, in Luke, and in Acts a couple of times. And the phrase eternal life, you may think you know what it means. For the Jews, they believed at the end of time, God would resurrect the righteous. So if you were right before God, even though you, you die, and even if you go to Jerusalem today uh, and you see the tombstones, they're all facing the temple because there's just a belief in the resurrection. When God completes things, all those who are in him, who followed him, will be raised to life. So how do I live in a way that's going to point me towards the resurrection? Jesus, what do I have to do that in the end of the day when those who followed you were rewarded? How do I know I'm one of those that really followed you? Well, look at how Jesus answers. It's clever. He doesn't answer. He, instead, he asks another question. Verse 26, what's written in the law? So he's an expert in the Bible. So you tell me, what does the Bible say? How do you read it? How do you understand it? So Jesus, being the master teacher, it doesn't answer, but invites him to expose what he really thinks. He's trying to test Jesus, and Jesus flips the test. Verse 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you'll live. So this may not seem like a big deal because we have the Bible, but if you've read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books, 
he finds two isolated statements, one in Deuteronomy, one in Leviticus, smashes them together and says, to really know God is to do these two things. This is huge. Like, he has really thought it out. And in their day, there was already, this isn't new to Jesus. There was already the idea, love God with everything and love your neighbor. That's what it means to live in light of the resurrection. If I want to be there when God resurrects the righteous, righteous people live this way. Uh, but that's not all the story. So verse 29 gives us what really is going on. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Because the Bible simply says, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, Jesus, another test. Who is my neighbor? In reply, once again, Jesus is a master. Some of us think like, we're going to get one up on God. Good luck. Like, right? You're not going to get one up on me. So Jesus, what he does is, at first, he flips and asks him a question. When he answers it, and Jesus says, great, well done, do that. He wants to look smart. All right, Jesus decides to tell a story, a story that isn't necessarily true and that he's not like reading the news, but it's a scenario they would totally understand, in a place they would totally understand. All right, what does he say? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, 17 miles, Jerusalem's up on a hill. If you go there today, all roads have to lead up to the place of the temple. And there's a road down to Jericho, 17 miles, that is, there's a huge, we, we were there a couple of years ago, it's a huge cavern. It's super curvy and it's dangerous because anyone could hide behind a rock, attack you, throw you behind the rock, and you're never found. So this is a treacherous road. So a guy's going down the road when he's attacked by robbers. Everyone gets that. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. They would get that. That probably happened before. So it's a scenario that makes sense. Now the question is, who is my neighbor? Jesus has a way of taking the question and providing for all of time the truth about God and his heart towards people. Guy's on a dangerous road. He's left half dead. Who comes by? Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and he saw the man, and he passed on the other side. So to Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, Jesus introduces a priest and a Levite. Now, this is such a familiar story, we have to almost unpeel what we think we know. Okay, so in their day, who do you look up to? Who do you want to be one day? Like, we idolize athletes, right? We do. A guy can throw a ball, let's give him $10 million. Right? We idolize, like, athletes. We idolize the quote-unquote good-looking, like the movie star or the, the model. Like, wow, look, they have the body everybody wants. Or, man, they can repeat lines. So, I mean, they didn't write the line. Someone gave them the line. They can repeat the line. Let's give them $10 million. Bucks. So these are the kinds of people, like, we want, we want to be. These, these are the heroes in the story. These are the people, if they tweet, we're like, yeah, and so this actor said they know what they're talking about. Okay, these are the people we look up to. In their day, it's the priest and the Levite because they're the closest to God. Physically, God meets with his people in the temple. Who's there? The priest. Who's there to help the priest with the sacrifices? It's the Levite. These, these are the people we want our kids to grow up to be. They're the hero of the story. And Jesus, because again, you already know the punchline, it loses his punch. He flips it. Look at, look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
Okay, already this is a messed up story. And Jesus, if you're the expert, you're like, I got him. Because see, he, you, you caught Jesus out there. Because no one would make the good guy the bad guy. The Samaritan, because of where he is from. Again, we don't have time. But if you read the Bible, you realize God's people were 12 tribes. Well, eventually they don't honor God when they're living in this land. And some of the tribes are sent away. And then other people move into their spot. And centuries later, the people from Samaria, the Jews who were from there, intermarried with these people who weren't following God, weren't reading the Bible, weren't honoring Jesus, weren't worshiping at the temple. Um, So what happens is rather than repenting, this group creates their own temple. So you have a group that say they are in relationship with God, the Samaritans, and that they're honoring God. They read the Bible. Oh, the first five books, they don't accept the rest. And they worship God. They do sacrifices. Oh, but not at the temple in Jerusalem, at their temple. It created such a tension. By the time of Jesus, no Jew is going to consider a Samaritan their neighbor. So what Jesus is going to do is going to teach us the heart of God. Who is my neighbor is the question. Jesus doesn't answer it. He just sets up a scenario that you would never expect. You would never expect that this guy who doesn't read the whole Bible, who, who doesn't worship at the right place, who's from a group of people who are not following, they're intermarrying, they're following the customs, they're watering down the faith, this guy should never be the hero. Priests and Levites should not be the bad guy. But Jesus is Jesus. And he has a way of telling us the truth that turns the way we think upside down. So for most Jews, a neighbor is another Jew. I want you to hold on to that. For most, a neighbor is another God-following Jew. That is my neighbor. If you're Samaritan, you're not my neighbor. If you don't even follow Yahweh, don't read the Torah, don't go to temple, then you're definitely not my neighbor. I'm responsible to care for God and God's people. This was, the, this was not necessarily the heart of God, but this is how people read the Bible according to their culture. Let me just pause for a second and just remind you what you know about, but don't think about. All of us already have preconceived about ideas about everybody. We've already figured everyone out. It's called a worldview. You have a view of the world. You have a view of how you're supposed to see people, who the good guys are, who the bad guys are who the acceptable people are, who the unacceptable, the acceptable behavior, the unacceptable behavior, all of us. Why? Because you were born and you had parents or guardians, people who raised you. And somehow, just because of the world you lived in, your worldview, your view of how you see people has been shaped. And here's what Jesus wants to do. Same thing with this guy. Same thing with, he is the expert in the law, loves God. But his view of God is partly right. And here's why it's important that we continue to grow. If you say you follow Jesus, you got to continue to grow. Because just because you're following him today does not mean your view of God is complete. And there's some things about God that you think that could be wrong. And that's exactly what Jesus exposes. When this guy says, I, who's my neighbor? Jesus knows in his brain he's already answered that question just like you have. You know who you're responsible for. You know who you're supposed to avoid. And that's how you can go to bed at night and not be stressed out. 
Because in your mind, you haven't answered. Can I just suggest this? There are some things that need to be reshifted. There are some people that you need to be awakened to that you've excluded, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I put them there for you. I put these people there because you're there, and I want you to be like I would if I were there. This is what it means to be a neighbor. Verse uh, 34. So he went. He went to him, and he, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. This was like their natural um, healing agents. And then he put the man on his own donkey, so he's got transport, but he gives it to his, this broken brother. And he brought him into an inn, and he took care of him. So he needs housing, and he lets this guy stay there. And the next uh, day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I'm going to reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. So he goes out of his way. That's Jesus' point. He goes out of his way. He gives him his own supplies. He stops in a dangerous town. He puts him on his own horse, assuming maybe he had multiple, or a donkey, maybe he had multiple animals. I don't know. Assuming he's going to walk. Uh, he needs a place to stay. He gives the guy a place to stay. And then he knows he needs time to heal. And Jesus doesn't tell us where he was going or what he was doing. But he couldn't stay. But he goes, he goes overboard and says, here, here's some cash. I'm opening up a tab. If it costs more, um, I, I will cover it. This is, this is extravagant. This is what love looks like, right? Verse 36, Jesus is going to focus it. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of the robbers? Now, everyone listening to the story knows, obviously, who this is. But this is a test of attitude. Watch how he answers the question. Verse 37. The expert in the law, I love how Luke puts it. The expert, the guy who's got it right, says, the one who had mercy on him. He doesn't actually answer Jesus. Jesus said, who? Who's the neighbor? He can't even say the word Samaritan. We don't pick this up. But the way he answers exposes his own soul. He can't even say who the guy is. He says, the one who had mercy on him. You see, there are things inside of us. Now, the expert in the law, hear me, is a good guy, but he's not complete. And what, what Jesus wants to do is to build disciples who are growing to be more and more like him. So it is okay to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and recognize that there are aspects of our loving God that need to be altered, right? There are things that we need to grow in. And even if you've been around Jesus for a long time, there are attitudes that need to be exposed. And the attitude he has is racial. It's racial. They are both, from, they both say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their forefathers. But they're, they're not pure like us, which is racism. And so Jesus is going to expose. Now, there are other things going on too, but we have to be honest about what is there. He can't even say, uh, a Samaritan. He came and called him by name. That's how lowly he sees him, even though their forefathers are the same. And that, that happens today. Let's not kid ourselves when we say that we're, we follow Jesus, but we wrestle with racism. We don't want to talk about it. it it's hurtful. We want to point the finger. We want to look at, we, we, we make choices in what we think about people based on where they're from based on the color of their skin, based on their last name, based on where they live. Racism, classism, 
I'm kind of here. Everyone who's here wants to be people who are here. No one wants to go with people who are here. It's just, it's just the nature of, this is our, our worldview, our, how we see people. Now, we don't, we don't ignore race. Race is a beautiful thing. But we have to embrace people as people and have the heart of God for people and not let, not let these other cultural things that are real taint the heart of God. This, this is what it is about. Jesus is asking the more important question, do I behave as a neighbor? What this, what this encounter is about is exposing in this expert's soul and in our soul, he asks, who's my neighbor? The bigger question is, do you behave like one? It's one thing to say, well, I love God, and of course I love people. Do you behave like it? That's what the heart of God is after. And the reason for the series is because we realize this is an area we can actually learn and grow in practically. So two different questions, and we're going to see Jesus' focus. Who is my neighbor is a question. How can I be a neighbor is Jesus' emphasis. So there are people that God may be bringing you to, but don't focus on the who, focus on the how. How can I grow to be more Jesus-like to people who may not be like me? How can I learn to open my eyes to obvious need? Because it's possible for there to be obvious need and it not be obvious to me. I'll give you an example. Do you know right now, right now when you walked in, there are people struggling in their mind, in their soul right now. Right, right here. Like as I'm talking, struggling with all sorts of ideas. Ideas about themselves, whether it's self-worth, whether it's worth going on, um, uh, whether it's thoughts about the past. I can't believe this was done to me. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I'm still doing that. There, there's these things in the mind. There's anxiety. There's depression. There are all sorts of things. There, there's, there are people laying by the side of the road, so to speak, who've been wounded and hurt, and we will walk by and not even see it. Because it's not because you're or I'm like, we're mean and evil. It's because Jesus is saying in the world, there's going to be need, and we need to be able to identify it. Because they walk by and they have, a, they have reasons to. By the way, Jesus doesn't tell us why. He leaves it open-ended because everyone has an excuse. It could be a good one. But to Jesus, one person of the three makes the right choice. And so there's people with financial needs right here, struggling to pay bills, struggling to pay, pay bills. Now, I'm not a prophet and I don't know everything. I just, I've been around long enough to know struggling, how are we going to make it? We might not realize it. Physical, uh, relational, all sorts of things. All, need is so pervasive. It's so wide. This guy, Jesus is an extreme. He's laying half dead. And I think if someone were laying half dead, A, I wouldn't be talking right now. B, we would try to do something. But Jesus wants to make a point. Genuine love is what's needed. Three things. I want you to run down real quick. These are so basic, but sometimes reminders can be helpful on what it means to become a neighbor because that's Jesus' emphasis. It's not who, it's how I can become. First one, becoming a neighbor means adjusting my attitude. 
What needs to happen for the expert in the story is he needs to see the Samaritan as a human. He needs a new attitude towards, towards people. Now, the guy is laying there dead, and he can't even recognize that in Jesus' like made-up story that the Samaritan has the possibility of doing good. His attitude is the problem. Of course the expert is not going to grow in becoming neighbor-like if he doesn't even see one group of people which lived down the road. They, were, they weren't hundreds of miles away. They were a few miles away. They don't even see this group as a group worth loving. And so Jesus, in his day, has to expose. Now, in our day, uh, how many of you would say the Samaritans are evil? <laughs> like, you're like, I don't even know what one, what, I don't even know what a Samaritan is. But how many of us would be honest enough to recognize that we've put people in boxes and we'll allow ourselves to interact with this box, but we're going to avoid this box. And so Jesus wants to say, okay, if you want to become more neighborly or neighbor-like, the attitude has to change first. So we're going to pray, God, God, will you invade my attitude towards people who are unlike me? Second thing that, that needs to happen is becoming a neighbor requires action. you got to do something. That's what you see in here, verse 33. Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Underline that. The word pity in the original language is the same word for compassion. He had compassion. And what does it mean to have pity or compassion or, you know, be moved to action? The, the word is super graphic. Like for us, we say, like, I love you, and I love you from the heart. That, do you see the difference there? Like, you know, oh, I love you, and I love the Blazers, and I love whatever. No, but I love you from my heart. That, for us, or, or love you, like, from the gut. For them, it was like the seat of emotion, we say is in our heart. They would say was in the intestines. I guess, you know, heart is prettier, right? But for them, it was like, I love you from my spleen, or I love you from my small intestine. I love you from, you know, I got deep. Intest, but because for them, like the the deep seed of a person was like somewhere in the scrambled eggs inside your body, right? That was that was in there. So he he took that's that what Jesus, the Samaritan, took pity on him. He he felt kicked in the gut. Here is this, like he was so gut moved, he had to step in. So to become more neighborly means my attitude needs to change. It's interesting here, Jesus doesn't say if the man who fell by was Jewish or not. But everyone by the story is shocked that the Samaritan would stop, right? And so obviously his attitude towards anyone hurting was right, and his actions matched his attitude. So it starts in the way we think and see people, but that's not where it ends. Like, oh, okay, I'm going to see people as more, you know, I'm going to be more embracing and loving of people. Well, that's where it begins, but that's not where it ends. Jesus is after the deeper. How we feel should move on to how we live. And so he stops. And so this, it's so, I wish I could line the news up with messages. This, this has been on the docket for a long time that we're going to talk about this. It just so happens there have been a few, I've only counted a, a handful, a few posts and articles in the world about immigration. Like just this week, there's been a few. Have you seen any of them? Only a couple were posted. But so, so this week, the, the last few weeks about uh, separating of children from parents and all that. And, and it's a hot, 
it's a hot topic for a good reason, because we need to be thinking about as a country and as a culture how we're going to handle uh, people who, want, who actually want to be here to work. <laughs> to work. They're coming to work, right? Now, wherever you are on the fence of this, and frankly, there are all sorts of sides, and so those are important. But what Jesus would say, according to this story, is that's not the most important thing. That's not the most important thing. It's an important thing. What's more important is what we do with the need that's presented. Here's why. I got, uh, in reading through people's various responses, I read a post by a friend of mine, Will. He lives in, in, in uh, North Carolina, so he's not even from here. But this was his post. And this is not the Bible, but I, I thought it was helpful. He says, I understand the outrage over children being separated from families because of immigration issues. The reality, and Will happens to follow Jesus. The reality is that children are separated from parents every day for so many other reasons. Thousands of group homes and facilities quietly exist in almost every city in the world, and it's difficult to count, but even the most conservative estimates show that 18 million kids currently live in facilities or on the streets around the world, and that is outrageous. Again, it's not the issue, but it's not skirting around the issue. It's actually exposing the deeper issue. Let me just continue his little quote. My prayer is that we would be just as outraged about all children who wake up every morning without parents or family. And my prayer is that our outrage would drive us to do something about it. Please consider being a foster parent or adoptive parent. Every child needs a family and a home, end quote. Okay, so, so I just wanted you to hear one response that's now he's like, well, he's not addressing the issue of how we, we treat you know, people who are coming into our country. I think what he's trying to do is in heart or in line with the heart of Jesus who wants to show us the guy to justify himself in the story. Says, well, who's my neighbor, Jesus? And Jesus flips it and says, are you even neighbor-like? And so an issue on the national scale ought to evoke something on the personal scale. Am I the kind of person who's going to allow anyone into my space? It doesn't, now I want to come back to the issue. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about these things and shouldn't have opinions about these things and share about these things. That's fine. All I want to say is putting those, because as many of those children who have been separated from their parents, let's assume they're not in our neighborhood right now, okay? Although maybe some have been placed here, I don't know. What are we going to do about the number of young people who do not have a place at all, who already are here? So what Jesus wants to do is not let the guy justify himself by saying, I have the right answer to the right question. And you could have the right answer to this political struggle that we have and still be off in the heart by not allowing room for people. Third thing, and we're done. Becoming a neighbor is inconvenient. We just need to know this. What Jesus is saying is to be neighbor-like is inconvenient. Why? Loving people includes, it includes risks. The guy stops on the most dangerous road to Jerusalem. Jesus is smart. He picks like the hard spot. The guy starts at the hard spot to meet the need of that person 
who's struggling. So real love is always going to be risky. So it is risky to even suggest that let's just go to the issue of our, like this week, about what are we doing with young people and parents. It is risky to even suggest that you would open yourself up to say, maybe I'm called to be neighbor-like to the people in our metro area who do not have a home or don't have care or don't have a friend or a mentor or an ear. Like, so, so we need to address those big questions. Nothing wrong with that. But Jesus is poking deeper and saying to us as a church, well, what are you going to do about the need that has fallen along your way? There are people that you and I are going to encounter today, unless you hide. Today. There's need. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to qualify that. You shouldn't do everything. Okay, please don't. Don't, go, don't leave here with the wrong side. They're like, Jose said like, to love Jesus means to do more. No, 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 no. You shouldn't do everything. You're not God. You're not. Don't do everything. I'm not even saying do more. I'm saying do something. That's, if you will find your something, and I find my something, and we all find our something, the Holy Spirit can map it all together and meet everyone's need. So the something or the someone may be right in this room, like in your row. What do you think about the person to your left or right? What do you think about, I mean, you people, I mean, you're getting blasted with AC right now. What do you think about the people hiding over there? <laughs> Greedy? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, what, do we, what do we do? What do we do with the people that God brings our way? Justice. We, we want justice. So we want our government to do what's right. We want justice. So we want people to do what's right. We want justice. You want to... If you want justice, you're asking for the most dangerous biblical term because God is just. And here's what justice means. This is the most practical definition I have ever heard by one of my mentors, Dr. Gary Brashears, who teaches at Western Seminary. Just doing justice is inconveniencing yourself for the sake of the quote-unquote worthless person the person that other people don't value, especially the widow, the orphan, the stranger, and the poor. And look at the antithesis. Look at the opposite. Injustice is keeping my stuff from my own comfort. That ought to disturb you because that's biblical. Biblical justice is not about being on the right policy, on the right team. Biblical justice is about recognizing that I am greedy and God is generous, that I hoard and God gives. And so biblical justice, Jesus justice, is about inconveniencing myself. Not Jesus having to force me, not some preacher telling me to do it, but me saying this is right and it hurts. But they, the person that other people don't value, are worth my time. They are worth my energy. They're worth me not getting to go and do X, Y, Z because I lovingly say they are more important. And my friend, that kind of neighbor-like living, that kind of justice, because everyone today is, it's the buzzword, economic justice and racial justice and gender justice. Everyone wants, we got to set the wrong right. And Jesus is saying, what about internal justice? What about recognizing the racism in my own soul? 
the hatred of my own soul, the misunderstanding of my own soul. And Jesus is after that deep-seated kind of change. And if he can produce that in us, the world will long to follow him. And so that's what we're looking for. Becoming a neighbor, becoming Jesus-like, living with justice is about inconveniencing myself. Okay, so all of that is a bit heavy, <laughs> I recognize. You know, you know, that's a bit heavy. But let's just, let's just look towards how do we move from here? What does it look like for us to become like Jesus and to be more neighborly? Can I just suggest this? We already said it. It starts with my attitude. What attitude do I have that needs to change? We want to bring that to Jesus. In our, our response, the reason we do worship after listening to the Bible is because when we hear what's true, it should evoke something in me that says, God, I need you. So if you're feeling a little uncomfortable, that's rad, and that was the point. Because, because we, should, we, should, we should, I should feel uncomfortable about me talking about justice, knowing the way I think about people. So what I need is I need Jesus. So we respond by saying, Jesus, will you expose my attitudes not to smash me, but to make me and recreate me into the person that you want, and I'm willing to be shaped. What person do I need to see more differently? Attitude is, is just blasé, right? Attitude. Okay, let's get specific. Let's ask the Holy Spirit, is there a person that I need an attitude fix on or some action towards it? God may stir you, like literally, specifically, towards a person that you can be more neighbor-like towards. Now, don't get on the moral high horse and say, oh, God, thank you that you're going to, I can do some good for somebody. Great. And I can feel better about myself. Wow, look how superior I am. No. That you can humble yourself and serve. Because that's what the guy does. The guy, he gives his supplies, his ride, his money. He says, you, your life matters. I'm going to humble myself. So is there a person that God is saying, you know what? You are created to show my love to, and then fill in the blank. And then what action is Jesus calling you to take? James reminds us, hearing the word and doing nothing about it is useless. So what action? Now it starts with the attitude, it moves towards a person, and then, and then God tells you, okay, these are the things that you should do. But what if God began to speak to us in those kind of ways? I tell you, someone's world will be different when we become the neighbor. All right, that's where we're headed. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to look at very specific things that he did, and we're going to say, like, oh, my gosh, we can do that too. Okay, so if you're a little, like, annoyed now, just keep coming. And next week's a free meal, so who cares? All right, why don't you stand up, and let's, let's respond, and let's ask and invite the Holy Spirit to begin to create that kind of thinking and feeling and living in our own soul. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're good enough and kind enough to take the areas of my thinking, my feeling, my living that are unlike you. And thank you that in your patience and kindness, you're, you're moving us along. So God, we're asking you and we're inviting you, rather than resisting you, we're inviting you, Lord, to now create in us a mindset where we are open to have you shape how we see people. And, and Lord, we're inviting you to even get specific and 
God, if there are people, if there are spots, places, areas that have our name on it, God, awaken us to that. And, and Lord, even if those things are scary or out of our box or comfort zone, before we take a step, we say, Lord, we affirm that. We affirm that's from you. And, and we invite you to do that. And then, God, we know that you're so kind that you're not going to leave it up to us to figure it out. Give us the action. Show us the amount. Um, expose the spot in our calendar that needs to be freed up so that we have, like, margin to love. And as your kids, we want to follow you. So, Holy Spirit, work this out in each person we pray. 